And as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue our sermon series uh, through 1 Timothy. Now, if you don't have a Bible here, uh, the good news, look in front of you. King's Chapel is providing you some new Bibles right there in your pews uh, that you could follow along with, uh, again, if you need a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. Uh, we have some on the back there. And if you need one with large print, I have some of those as well. So, uh, uh, by the way, we're going to be on page 933 today for in those. So we're in our seventh week of a sermon series entitled, For the Flourishing of the Household of God. And as we look through this amazing book of the Bible, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a young preacher by the name of Timothy, it really is like it's like an owner's manual for the church. I mean, all of God's Word is going to direct us how to know and love and live for Him and how much we need Jesus. But... First Timothy, of all the 66 books, uniquely really was written to a young pastor at a time that he was in Ephesus and saying, hey, this is how you should operate. This is who should operate. This is for the flourishing of the household of God. There's two overarching things when we look at this incredible book. It's one is for the church to be properly run. It can be called the household of God. It's the church of the living God. It says right in chapter 3, that is why I am writing to you uh, to make sure that the household of God, the church of the living God, will properly be run. But we need to properly be run, not just to be a holy huddle. There's more of this. It's for the world to be thoroughly one. W-O-N-E. It could be O-N-E too, united in one. But for the world to be thoroughly one. Why? Because we as Christians were ambassadors. We, we have a mission that God has given to us, that he wants to fill the earth with his glory. He wants to use us to tell that good news. And so uh, we, we want the world to be thoroughly one. And he wants all types of people to come to Christ Jesus. We've already seen that. It's beautiful. Our God is a missionary God, so much so that he himself would come and rescue us. And as we dug into this, this uh, incredible book, we found some things that are so important for the church. We started off with, we need sound doctrine. We got to make sure we're standing on solid ground of God's word. We need, especially times like this, we need sound doctrine. And as soon as he hammered home that point, he reminded us, we need abounding grace. We don't want sound doctrine that makes us edgy and cold and, and, and callous. Uh, we need do doctrine to stand on, but we need grace to be reminded that we are sinners saved by God's grace. We need to fight the good fight. we got to make sure that we're not just fighting each other or fighting other churches. Uh, we want to make sure that we're fighting the good fight for God's glory. We realize we need the primacy of prayer, and that's just not for the leaders. That's for every single Christian, that God has given us a communication line to him and that we should have a primacy of prayer. Last week, we looked at God's biblical design for gender roles in public worship and that how that reflects creation, how that reflects himself. And again, we looked at, this isn't necessarily culturally sensitive, but this is God's holy and errant word that will never lead us astray. And this morning, we're going to see, he's going to go right from that to say, we need godly leaders, officers to lead Christ's church. This sermon is so important at the life of King's Chapel right now. Because let me tell you, God led me to preach through 1 Timothy for one big reason. We're going to 
we got to have the good foundation. We need to know the manual. But we are right around the corner, beginning in the fall, uh, we are going to be nominating officers, deacons, uh, deaconesses, elders, uh, to help lead our church. And so every single one of you, those of you who might be already starting to feel a call to serve, uh, we need to know, what does God say? For those of you who don't feel called to serve, you need to know, because we're going to ask you who to nominate. Who do you see that God is leading? And for many of you young people, let me tell you this. We got some great 20-somethings in this church. Some of them are back serving uh, with us in the sound booth. Uh, we have some great 30-something folks. Um, we have, I love the fact that our church has an incredible cross-section of, of some young and mature folks. But young people, um, we really need to make sure that, that you grow and aspire uh, to be leaders uh, of, of Christ's church. How important that's going to be. Uh, you know, our church of today and tomorrow, so much hinges on how much we can hand off to that next generation for the glory of God. So this morning, we're going to uh, be looking at, um, because we are going to be nominating officers, God's word, and what kind of person should be an officer? What are the biblical qualifications and stipulations uh, and how does God use this? We're going to look at three things this morning. It's a, it's a list. It's really interesting because this part of the letter, um, commentators will say it's almost like Paul is going to use more bullet points. It's almost like it's less words. Uh, I, I love the studying. It's like the passage we're going to look at, it's like 50 Greek words and like 200 English words. And so for translation, they've got a lot more words in there. So it's almost like he's just given us bullet points. Hey, this is what an officer should be. Boom, 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 boom. My preaching will be a little bit like that. Um, remember, this is all for us. There's a kind of a list of things for us to look to. But we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the calling to office. Uh, we're going to try to unpack that a little bit. It's a noble calling. We're going to look at the character, the character of, of one who is called to be an elder. Specifically this morning, we're focusing on the office of elder. I'll tell you more in a minute. And we're also going to talk about his conduct, uh, how he uh, uh, should live in the world. So we're going to look to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7, pick up right where we left off last week. And if you are sitting there and you would like to follow along in our new fancy pew Bibles, it's on page 933. But if you got a uh, Bible that's a large print, you're on your own. You're going to have to find it yourself. So, all right. First Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read again God's word, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes to Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, therefore to us as well, saying, the saying is trustworthy. It's the second one we've seen of a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall in disgrace into the snare 
of the devil. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the church. We thank you that the church is the body of Christ and that Christ Jesus himself is our head. Uh, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and be teacher today because we are going to be talking about the bride of Christ, the officers of the bride of Christ, and and the one who stands to preach is a broken sinner that needs to submit himself to this word as well. So God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you speak through me? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word and the, the qualifications here of your officers? Oh God, would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? Every single one of those, us, those that you're calling to this office and, and those who will be, be led by those in this office. God, may we all have hearts to embrace your truth. And God, would you empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name and submissiveness and obedience to you as our King and as our Lord, to the, to the leaders that you are raising up to lead us. Oh God, the things that I say that are merely my opinion or, or, or they're, they're wrong, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh God, would you use those things? to make us more like your son, Christ Jesus? Would you use those things to build your church here at King's Chapel? Would you use those things to strengthen us for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor? Oh God, would you be with us through the preaching of your word, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So here we have, as, 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 as Paul is now telling Timothy, we've gotten to the point, we've built a foundation, now let's talk about your leaders. And let's specifically, let's start talking about your, your elders. Uh, that's a word you haven't heard yet. I didn't, you didn't hear the word elder. You heard the word overseer. I'll unpack that in a moment. But he wants off by saying this. Hey, this is a noble calling. There's something noble about the fact of God's hand upon those that he is raising up to leadership. Why? It's noble to care for God's people. God is going to raise up those who will care and nourish uh, and nurture God's people, leading them in Christ's church. That is always a noble calling. I love it. Anytime I have the privilege of training future officers, I always say, hey, you're starting off with a noble task. Let me just tell you something. The world's not going to applaud it. A lot of people are going to think you're crazy, and you're going to about ready to see behind the scenes of a church, behind the curtain, and you're going to see some ugly things, and you're going to see some things you wish you didn't see or hear. But I love it because God says it's noble. Those of you who want to serve the bride of Christ and lead it, noble calling. I love that reality. It's noble in God's eyes. And the noble calling of an officer or an elder has three parts to it. They always will come. This is always God's model for a calling. There'll be an inward calling. There'll be an outward calling. And there'll be a Godward calling. Those whom God calls, inward, outward, Godward. Let's talk a little bit about an inward calling. That's that inward that you're, you're wondering, God, is it indigestion? Are you calling me to leadership? You know, what's stirring inside of me? How come I'm longing to this? Now, if you're longing for it for self-aggrandizement, it's not God's calling. If you're longing for it to get ahead in business or to be better in a, in a pyramid scheme, God is not calling that. But if there's something the Holy Spirit that is stirring in your heart, that you're, you're, you're being called by God, an inward stirring, uh, that is a noble thing. It's a desire to serve Christ's church. Uh, this, 
it, it says aspire. It really, the Greek here is a stretching to achieve, uh, kind of reaching out your hands. It's an, it begins with an inward calling. I remember, um, you know, my grandmother at a very early age, some of my earliest memories of her tossing my hair and, and calling me Jeffrey. But she'd always usually say, Jeffrey, I'm praying that you'll be a pastor someday. I didn't want to be a pastor then. Didn't want to be a pastor through college. Uh, didn't want to be a pastor when I started in the business world and working in New York City. Uh, didn't want to be a pastor when I moved to Florida with my wife and we were expecting our first child. Uh, but that inward calling, those prayers of my grandmother, uh, they, they started to do something inside. And although I enjoyed the business world, although I felt uh, a, a blessing in the business world, it became clear that God had something else for me. And it began with this inward calling. And wouldn't you know that it was God that, that put somewhere in my desk a letter that I had forgotten that I had still had and received from my grandmother that she had written when I was in high school. And when I was looking at different schools and in it says, Jeffrey, I am praying that you will be a pastor one day and a blessing to many. And I thank you so much, Grandma Blakeman, for those prayers. It began with an inward calling. But it never ends there. It also will have an outward calling. God's people will see it too. If someone feels called to an office and says, hey, I feel called to the office, everybody else says, no, you don't. Let me tell you, we don't see it. Uh, we don't see the gifting. We don't see the character. We don't see the quality. There's something beautiful about this because God's people are going to have to affirm that. Yeah, we see it too. We see God working in your life. We, 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 we would like to follow your leadership because we see qualities of, of Christ in you. And there will be an outward confirmation. The church should always have a conscientious screening of those who are desiring to be an officer. You don't just take somebody and say, hey, I want to be an officer. Okay, great. You come next week, you're in. No, no, no. We want to make sure, okay, you're getting an internal calling. And also, is, is the congregation feeling the same vibe? Um, if God is calling someone to the office as an officer, the church will be feeling and seeing that call as well. And then thirdly, there's the Godward calling, that it's really the one, that God is the one who empowers us. I mean, it's his hand that's doing all the work. Whether inward or outward, it's God. And it's a Godward calling. It's ultimately God who calls, it's ultimately God who gifts, and it's ultimately God who empowers the officers of his church. It makes sense, right? Let me give you a couple of verses that prove this point. In the book of Acts, it's like a history of the early church, uh, the history of the, the New Testament church, I really should say. Um, and it's, it's written by Luke, and, and he's telling of how the gospel is spreading from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, and he says to the elders, really in Ephesus, in, in Acts 20, 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Interesting, it wasn't just, hey, the, what you felt led to or what the congregation confirmed. Hey, what the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the care for the church of God, which is he obtained with his own blood. Hey, this is important. It's church of God, by the way. How would he get the church of God? He paid for it with his blood. This is important stuff, all right? So make sure, leaders, that you're called by the Holy Spirit to be overseers. And I love what he starts off here, too. Pay attention first to yourself. Okay, clean up at home. Make sure you pay attention to yourself because why you got a church to run. Uh, Ephesians 4, um, Paul is going to write to the church in Ephesus, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Here, he's saying God is the one. God, God's Son is going to give us these, the Holy Spirit. It's all of God is making sure there is a, a Godward calling for those of us. And why did he give us these things? I love this, verse 11. This is so beautiful. God raises up leaders of the church for, verse 11, to equip the saints. The word saints is the word agios. It's not just some people that you pray to. An agios, a saint, is a born-again believer. In Christ Jesus, we are all saints. So he's saying this, that leaders that Jesus gives is to equip the church, the saints, that's you and me in Christ. Why? For the work of ministry, for the building up of Christ's body. If you get nothing else, see God's design. It says God raises up leaders. He does it to empower the church for the church to do the work of God. The leaders don't do all the work. No, we are all a body of Christ. we got to do it together. God gives us the leaders to empower, to equip the church to do the work that God has called us to do. It's a beautiful picture of how he has it. So you have to have a, a noble calling. It's an inward calling. It's an outward calling. It's a Godward calling, um, and, and that is to inspire. Did, that, did we freeze here? It looks like the Godward calling didn't get up there. There it is. Um, all right, fantastic. So when it comes to calling, uh, not only that, um, there's a calling to office. The, the text before us is the, call, the calling to elders. Um, it's called overseers here in this text. We're going to next week pick up where he talk, calls deacons um, as well. But the Bible uses two Greek words to describe the elders of the church, and he uses it interchangeably. The Bible will use the word overseer, and the Bible will use the word elder. I want to take you back to the book of Acts, and I want to read to you a passage where you'll hear both overseer and elder used interchangeably. Uh, it says, Paul says, and uh, uh, actually Luke says in Acts 20, verses 17, uh, and then I'm going to skip to 28. Now for Miletus, uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And again, and then I read this earlier, pay attention uh, to yourselves and to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He called the elders, he made you overseers. These are two interchangeable words for the same office the office of pastor, the office of elder. Overseer is the Greek word episkopos. Episkopos. Does anybody sound, sound familiar? Episkopos. Well, it means uh, uh, it's an overseer. We have a denomination. The Episcopal denomination takes that word, episkopos, overseer. It, it will describe the function. He's supposed to be an overseer of the church. It probably comes more from the Greek the Greek society. There were overseers of society, of those who were raised up to be overseers. But there's another Greek word, and, and the uh, Greek word of elder is presbyteros. Presbyteros, sound familiar? Uh, well, again, uh, the Greek word that gives us uh, the denomination Presbyterian denomination, its name. If you hear, hey, I'm a part of a Presbyterian church, they're going to tell you how they're governed. They're governed by elders. That's presbyteros. That has more to do with dignity. And it comes out of the Jewish tradition. Moses raised up elders throughout the Jewish tradition. In the synagogue, they would have elders. And so when it comes to the New Testament, we'll have overseers, we'll have uh, elders. They are the same uh, calling to that office. What, what is their role? Uh, their role is to rule and to teach, to oversee, to rule 
and to teach God's people, or uh, maybe a better way to say it is to shepherd God's people and to feed God's people. And this is such a vital role for the church. As the elders go, so does the church. We've seen it over and over again. Elders start going left of center. They start going liberal. So will the church. The elders give up on God's word is God's word. There goes that church. The leaders are going to be so important. Are are we God-centered? Are we word-centered? Are we kingdom-focused? Is the Spirit of God here moving among us? Are we committed to building a community and to reach our community? As our elders go, as our leaders go, so will our congregation go. So this is so important for us. Who's God raising up to be our elders, our teachers, our rulers? And we, I love the fact of this is we, th- see th- we see through Scripture that as the church is building, building up, the exhortation is to go into a new town, a new church, and what are the first things they're supposed to do? Raise up elders, and not just one. Because there's a beauty of God's design that the church should be led by a plurality of leaders, not just one. A church that has one, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. You know, I mean, even as godly as your pastor is, <laughs> uh, as much as I want to be a man of God and God's beautiful wisdom, he raises up those around us to challenge us, to sharpen us, to, 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 to see around corners. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So that's, uh, that's the role. Let's talk about the character. Okay, the qualifications. It's interesting, and remember I told you the bullet points. So, so Paul is going to give seven positive qualities. I'm just going to call them the qualifiers, seven positive. He's going to give us four negative. I'm going to call them the disqualifiers. And he's going to give us in a bit rapid form. So let me just go through them. And, and again, the elders, is, is, they, they, these qualifiers are right on the heels of what we heard last week when he talked about gender roles in public worship. This flows right into that saying when these elders, these men, they should have these things. The first thing they should be is above reproach. Raise your hand if you feel like you're above reproach. Whoa, it doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means more that you're aiming for blameless. And I love the best translation I've ever heard of above reproach is without handles. It's that there's nothing in your life that is, that is a handle of your life, uh, an addiction, uh, a temptation gone wrong that someone could grab, especially the enemy and Satan, it's, he's referred to twice in this text, and take you down. You're above reproach. You are a godly man. Again, it doesn't mean sinless. If it meant sinless, no one is qualified. It means more blameless. And then it says this, he must be the husband of one wife. What does that mean? Well, it seems kind of black and white, but I think what it's really saying is that you should be faithful to one wife. This does not mean that a single man cannot serve. Uh, Okay, that's over-reading this. It's over-reading, say, I'm single, I'm not able to serve because I'm I'm not a husband of of, of one wife. Uh, That's really over-reading the text. Paul himself, a single man. And he said in 1 Corinthians 7, "If if you're single, it's okay to stay that way. But if you are married, you should have one wife. You should be faithful to that one wife. It does not mean that widowers can't serve as elders. It doesn't mean that those who even have been divorced necessarily can't serve as elders. They should be examined. Is it a biblical divorce? 
Did, did it follow scripture? Did your spouse leave you? And, and, and what happened there? That one should be examined. But I, I'll tell you right now, the church is all over the board with this. I mean, I've been in churches when I was in New Jersey. If you had a divorce in any way, shape, or form, if your spouse left you for another uh, and, and broke her vows, you're stuck. You can't, you can't serve. Um, so this is something to prayerfully consider. What does God's word say? It really says you're faithful to your vows of that one wife. If your wife passes, you're free to marry again. It doesn't disqualify you. Um, one woman man, true to his vows. And then the next three kind of go together. You're sober-minded. Temperate, it mean, could mean that you're not given too much wine, but he's going to talk specifically about that. It really means this. You should be clear-headed. Are you a clear-headed man? Are you clear-headed? Secondly, are you self-controlled? Um, are you sensible, disciplined? And, and then I love the fact that those are kind of internal qualities. And then the third one is respectable. Respectable is like the outward expression of the inward control. Are you respectable? All these things are working together, so you live your life in a respectable way. Others will see it. Um, do you possess these things? And then he turns, he says, an elder should be, an overseer, it's kind of interesting, hospitable. And you know what the actual Greek means here? A lover of strangers. He should be a lover of strangers. Self-giving, welcoming. I picked on him because of his age. I should probably pick on him again. If anybody was here before the worship service, Robbie Robinson was being very hospitable. You've probably met him. For those of you who are here that are new, the guy with gray hair, uh, he's been an elder for a long time in one of the biggest churches in our town, hospitable. That's what an elder, he wants to be welcoming. He wants to, he, he, he's looking for strangers and saying, come in. Come to get to know the Jesus I know. Come, come in and, and man, experience that love. Hospitable, welcoming. He should be able to teach or apt to teach. Very interesting. This is a qualification that separates an elder from a deacon. It doesn't list this with deacons. An elder should be able to teach. Not necessarily, uh, certainly a preacher, but other elders should be able to, how should they be able to teach? They should be able to teach in sound doctrine. They got to know their stuff, right? And don't be a recent convert. I mean, uh, don't, don't be someone who doesn't know God's word because you're representing Christ's church. They're, you know, don't let anybody else eat your lunch because you're going to come up against false teachers. You're going to hear things and say, is that right for the church? Should we be teaching on that? You know, even recently, Scott and I have had a really interesting um, discussion, thankfully led by Scott, of what kind of music should we sing? Because there's a couple of really cool, fancy, nice songs that come from churches that are teaching heretical stuff. And you know, if we sing them, we're supporting them, and we're giving them money through a license we have. And so you want to make sure you have leaders that say, okay, is this right? And let us examine this, and, and let us make sure that is this the teaching we want? They're apt to teach. They're apt to refute. That's what you need with your leaders, especially at a time like this, folks. I mean, our society is adrift, and we've got to make sure that we're standing on sound doctrine, and our leaders are men of God who are committed to God's word unapologetically and able to teach it, describe it, stand for it. Okay, as we look to deacons next week, that, 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 I mentioned that's one of the biggest uh, differences between the two offices. And here are the disqualifiers. He's not a drunkard. Okay, literally it means he's not lingering beside wine. I love that. Um, it doesn't mean that he's a teetotaler. It doesn't mean that. And some churches will say, therefore, you want to be an elder, you've got to give up alcohol. Um, because why? Well, listen, Paul tells Timothy, hey, take some wine for your stomach. 
Um, he tells them right in this, this book. So it doesn't mean that you're a teetotaler, and many have gone so far, they want to make sure that they're, they're not drunkards, that they'll say, hey, they'll forbid the officers to drink. Um, you know, I chose not to drink at a time, especially when I was a student minister. I didn't want anybody to walk in my house and open the refrigerator and see a beer. It might be a stumbling block. I chose not to. I've been making up for a lot of lost time for those 10 years. Um, so, but, you know, there was a time, I mean, there was a time I grew up in a more of a legalistic home. Um, it was a great home. It was a fantastic home. But I, I didn't drink through college. Um, I didn't drink through high school. Um, I didn't do it for Jesus. I did it for Jeff because I like being different. Um, but there's a lot of teaching on what it means not to be a drunkard, but it really means one who doesn't linger over wine. If that's not your identity, it's not a handle. Remember, above reproach, not a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle. Literally, not, given, not a giver of blows. <laughs> not a giver of blows. Not somebody who's going to come beat you upside the head. Not violent, uh, uh, but gentle. This word gentle. I love the translation, sweet reasonableness. Don't you want to have elders that have sweet reasonableness that are not just going to knock you upside the head? Um, they're gentle. Who was the greatest gentle leader who ever lived? Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary, laden, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest because I am gentle and meek. That's the gentleness of him. The, the one who had all power, the one who had all authority is gentle. And we need to have leaders that are gentle. Not quarrelsome. And this is without a contentious spirit. I tell you what, if you get a quarrelsome elder, you are in deep weeds. And I've had some. If they want to just quarrel, or they want to argue for argument's sake, they will destroy unity. Uh, they will make your meetings really long. And they will make you start to loathe them. <laughs> Not quarrelsome. Doesn't mean they can't debate. We want debaters. Doesn't mean they can't argue. We want them. But if they just quarrel, you guys know who they are, right? I mean, some people like to quarrel. We've got to love them. Some of you, that's you, and you don't even know it. Maybe it's me. All right, let's go. Uh, why this will destroy. They're not a lover of money. Now, listen, the point thing is there is lover of money, right? This is where money is an idol. He can be rich or poor. Watch. You can be both rich or poor and be a lover of money. It's just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're a lover of money. God might have blessed like Abraham. He blessed him a lot. God blesses sometimes people with money. But if money is your identity, if it's your security, if it's your thought, if it's your idol, you're disqualified. Because that's all you'll be thinking about. You shouldn't be a lover of money. You shouldn't be an idol. We'll talk more about that being the love of money, being the root of many evils in a few weeks. So that is their character. Lastly, their conduct. Their conduct in home and private in the world. Their, their conduct in home, he got to manage his own household well. And I love how it says, listen, if somebody can't manage their own household well, what are they doing trying to manage the household of God? If you can't do it right there within your walls, how do you think you're going to be able to do it right here? I've seen elders, I respect them, step down because their families were a mess, their household was a mess, and they said, hey, I don't feel qualified anymore. I just feel like uh, right now, I'm, I'm not managing things at home. I have to step down. But remember, training a child in the way he should go or the way she should go doesn't guarantee they'll always follow it. And if you've done your best to teach God's word and you've done your best to live an example as a broken sinner, and they're wayward, I don't think you're just disqualified because of it. You ought to examine that. 
I, I sometimes push back. It's not, hey, you know what? Their kid did something wrong. Get them off the elder board. You know what? Kid doesn't do something wrong. I remember being a pastor of a church with a big Christian school, and uh, they would think that my kids should be more spiritual or know the Bible because their dad was a pastor. And I want to say, hey, my kid's going to need the grace of God as well. They're sinners that need grace, and, you know, I'm hopefully managing it well. So that's, that's an interesting thing of how we manage a family. But it should be looked at, uh, looked at closely. In private, and I'm really stretching the private one out here, uh, what he is actually saying, he shouldn't be a recent convert, because if he is, he might get puffed up, and he might be susceptible to fall. But I'm telling you, in private, our leaders need to be growing and mature believers. They need to be mature. They need to be growing. They need to be humble. They need to know how to feed themselves. Why? Because they're called to guard themselves. And lastly, don't you love this? What's their conduct in the world? Do you know what God's word says? That they should be thought well of outsiders. I mean, they'll probably be made fun of by a lot of outsiders, and that's not our only litmus test. But if they're a hypocrite, if they're saying one thing here and living another thing there, if, they, if, if they're just throwing stones at other people and, and, and arrogant, if the world thinks that they're just knuckleheads, not because of the fact they love Jesus, but because of the way they live an arrogant, hypocritical life, they're disqualified. So the question is, good luck finding these guys, right? Who in the world can we have raised up to fulfill this task? Remember, God's grace. We are all redeemed sinners being sanctified, but we are looking for spiritually filled men dependent upon God. Let me leave you with this thought. We need to have men who know that through their weakness, Christ shines through. We need to men, know, have men who are quick to repent and believe. May God bless King's Chapel with godly officers. Men and women, deaconesses to lead Christ's church today and forever. Amen. Let us pray. And Father God, thank you for this incredible manual that you've given us so that we can have the church run properly and so that we could be used to have the world won thoroughly. And God, thank you for this high water of qualifications. Every time I read it, there's something in my heart that shudders saying, oh Lord, I, I fall so short. But God, I thank you that, that God, that your hand and your word uh, upon me and upon other elders that you're raising up, that God, that being of reproach doesn't mean sinless, but it means that we long to live our lives for your glory without handles. God, I pray for the men uh, that you're raising up here at King's Chapel to be elders, that, God, you do it in a way that both emboldens them in the gospel and humbles them, that they would both be strong in your word and they would be meek and gentle that the way they love you would be the aroma of Christ. God, I pray that you'd help us as King's Chapel, a church, to see those who have your hand upon them. We see that outward calling is your work in their life, that Godward calling. God, I pray that we get this right. We come out of the blocks as a new church with strong leaders. They're going to be broken sinners, but God, and I pray for unity, you'd unify us. And God, next week as we look to your word for deacons, that you'd raise up um, those who will serve the bride of Christ, uh, those men and women that can help us, um, God, with that office as well. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. God, bless us to be a blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.